of the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubblitz, and welcome back for Christ the King Sunday for the week of November 24th, 2019, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited yet also saddened that this will be the last week that we will be in the Gospel of Luke. This is the wrap up of year C in the liturgy, and so I'm a little bit conflicted because I really do like the Gospel of Luke as we reflect back a little bit on the whole year and what we've covered this year and dug into in this year. It's been really impressive. There's a lot of really cool things that we've had the privilege to dig into and it's fun digging into Luke like this, but it'll be kind of exciting to dig into a new chapter starting next week with the beginning of Advent and digging into Matthew's gospel, a gospel that I have not done the podcast on yet. So I'm excited to dig into that. So yes, I really like Luke's gospel, but it's also exciting to dig into Matthew's gospel and we get to move into another church year, which I think is always really exciting. I think also what's really exciting for me is this is the first full year that I've actually been able to do was starting in January of 2018. I missed the first month of Mark. So it was really fun to think about and be able to contemplate that I have a whole liturgical year done. And so that's really exciting, really fun, and I hope that you guys are enjoying this ride. And as we dig into this, as we are putting a bow here on Luke's gospel that you are excited for what Advent can bring and excited for digging into another church year, but this year using it through the eyes mostly of Matthew. So before we jump into this week's text, let's do our shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, Since I'm not an ordained minister and have never gone to seminary, it helps give me a lot of direction to be able to bring you this podcast on a week-to-week basis as I try using resources such as Caroline Lewis, Joy J. Moore, Ralph Jacobson, and Matt Skinner on a weekly basis to help give me some direction, along with a lot of other pastor friends that I get to talk to on a week-to-week basis to help bring this podcast to you. So, One way of supporting this podcast is to check out workingpreacher.org. Second thing I would shamelessly plug is, again, if you haven't checked out God Friended Me, I'd highly recommend it. I really enjoy seeing a show where it has the mystery element of God within the show through the God account, but also seeing how God can work through people in a variety of ways. And yet, it still is amazing to see how all of it comes through. So, if you haven't checked out God Friended Me on CBS, I'd highly recommend that. One final thing before we jump into this week's text is looking at last week's Twitter question, which was, have you thought about the scientific process slash community being similar to your community of faith? And explain your answer. And we had a couple really good answers this week that I really enjoyed. We had one talking about the idea of healthy doubt. And I think that's something that we all have to wrestle with. And I think it's something that we don't talk enough about. Even Luther describes as being a Lutheran, it's one of the people I really look up to and really like digging into his stuff. Martin Luther talked about there was only two times within his life that he had the 100% guarantee 
of where God was existent, and that was in his marriage and in the death of his first child. So this idea of having doubt isn't new, it isn't crazy, but I think it's something that we don't do enough thinking about and being okay with that there is still that reasonable doubt. And I think that's one of the beautiful things when we're looking at faith in a similar lens to kind of how we would think about science and saying that there's a point where we have to take a leap of faith, where there's a point where there's an insurmountable amount of evidence. There's still a point where in science you have to leave a little bit of doubt. It's one of the things that, again, I know I've talked about before, but when I was in college, we distinctly talked about You are not proving anything. You are supporting things. And it's one of the things that lawyers love is that you have to leave in the reasonable doubt in it because that's just how science works. And I think faith is a similar way. We have to have healthy doubt. And it's not that doubt is a bad thing. It's that we're still working and trying to contemplate and consider this God who is so much bigger than what we can understand. So the idea that we would have a stagnant faith, and this is how we understand faith, is really quite crazy to think about it. That you would want something where it's constantly changing and growing and moving, where there is going to be spots of doubt throughout, and that's okay, because that's where you're still working on your faith. So, With that being said, let's jump into this week's text. The gospel text is out of Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 43. This is like we talked about the last text that we'll get out of Luke, and it's Jesus being crucified. Jesus at the place called the skull where he has criminals on either side of him. He's being persecuted. And not once, not twice, but three times is called out that if he is the Messiah, then save yourself. It's through the soldiers. It's through the people watching. And it's through one of the criminals on the cross. They're rebuking him. They're calling him out. But yet we get on the other side, one of the other criminals who is being hung with Jesus. And he says, Coming from verse 40, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, referring back to the other criminal who called them out? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He then continues with, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds with, in the end of the text, coming from verse 43, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Interesting gospel. And I think there's so much here where if you want to put it into like a modern context, Jesus is being mocked by the the masses, by a large group of people. And yet we're seeing here through the crucifixion, one person stand beside him. We have to remember at this point, his disciples are standing at a far distance, not wanting to be associated with this man, to have one person standing beside him. And yet Jesus knows what he is doing. And us being on this side of the cross and digging also into the text that we'll have, we know what this is meaning. And it's a much deeper meaning than what these people who are crucifying him could ever understand. But yet we didn't see that vision at that time. 
The first reading this week is out of Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 6. This is also the alternative first reading this week. And it's a very interesting reading because it's talking about shepherds and scattering the sheep and how they will be persecuted. These people who are shepherding people, so thinking about it, it could be reflected fairly easily to leaders who are scattering the flock or causing disruption within that. And then this prediction that we can take from coming again on this side of the cross that there will be this good shepherd who will come who will bring people together and that he's the best that we can have, shall execute justice and righteousness in the land, coming from the end of verse 5, and that Judah and Israel, remember multiple times in the last few weeks, we've been talking about how these have been at odds, will live in safety, and that the name of him will be the Lord is our righteousness, coming from the end of verse 6 there. So this idea of someone coming to unite people together. Which, again, with being on this side of the cross, we can see that associating back to the gospel text. There's two possibilities for the psalm this week. We have start with Psalm 46. And this is this idea, again, of God the provider type of him. God is our refuge and strength and very present in a time of trouble. And continues on this path of explaining and voicing that as things go crazy around us, that God is still in control of everything that is going on, whether there's things that happen where, coming from verse 9, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This idea that God is still in control, be still, know that God is God and that he is working with you, through you to be able to bring forth what he has envisioned. The alternative psalm is coming out of Luke chapter 1 verses 68 through 79. And this is kind of very early in Luke's gospel, which I think is really interesting pairing with the gospel text this week of predicting and again reiterating that this savior is going to come this person is going to come that it has been promised for generations that he will be the one that is forgiving our sins and is laying down as the ultimate sacrifice as we know on this side of the cross but that he will be the one to provide salvation to his people the one that's been promised for years and years and years the second reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. And this is Paul then explaining this a little bit further on how the blood of Christ and what he did for us is what we've been looking for, what we've been longing for, and that he then is the one that is bringing us all together. He's the one that makes this all work. He's the one that because of what he did, we can go forth and present the gospel and not have fear, still have the healthy doubt, but not have fear in what God is doing because we know what he does and provides and brings forth. lot in this text, complicated in a way to end the year, but in a way we have to remember 
that this is also a transitional text. So next week with moving into Advent, it's that time of preparation, remembering back to the first birth. But this is also supposed to be a bridge to help us remember and prepare not only for the first birth, but the second coming. When Christ comes again and preparing us for that. I think it's one of the things with the commercialization of Christmas that we've had. We feel rushed and we don't take the time to prepare. And this is a text to help us get into that place of beginning preparation, not only for Jesus's birth and what we see Christmas to be, but also the preparation of what Jesus is and will be when he comes back. And that's a lot to take in, and it's, in a way, for me at least, very sombering, but yet exciting. This place of how do I prepare, but also be excited for this. You also look at these texts, and I think everything hinges on that gospel text. It just, everything comes back to what Christ did for us. And it's very hard to find somebody, as you would believe, that we can compare directly to Jesus. But as I sat and contemplated this text, there's one thing that did come to me that I think is an interesting comparison that's in a little bit more of a modern day text that I think in one certain aspect of this person's life we can look at and see something similar a little bit. And I know this person's been a bit of a controversial figure, and I'm not saying that the person has been fully figured everything out. But I think there is one aspect that they have done that I think is worth diving into a little bit and remembering back for those of us who are old enough to remember back. And I think it's the creation of Tesla and Elon Musk. I was in high school. I remember distinctly when the initial Roadster long before the S and the X and the 3 and the Y, long before those, was the original Roadster, which looked, I remember, incredibly cool, but it was incredibly expensive. And I remember thinking as I talked to my biology teacher about it, like, there's no way I could ever afford this, but man, it's super cool to see this coming. And Elon, even recently, within the recent, I'm talking 2017, actually has a series of tweets, and I will link them down below, where he explains what the whole purpose of Tesla was. Tesla came around in 2003 as a semi-protest to what GM had done. GM in the 90s had created these cars called EV1, and if you're looking for a movie on that, it's Who Killed the Electric Car? And Elon references it actually in these series of tweets. But part of it was his protest. He saw how much against owners' wills they were recalling or taking these cars to essentially demolish them. And since no other major car brand was taking electric vehicles seriously... They figured that there was nothing to lose, especially that Elon had already made millions of dollars initially with a couple mergers that ended up being a company of PayPal, if you know the history of Elon Musk. And him with a small group decided to come together 
to try making this company essentially to help forward the idea and push the idea of electric vehicles. He even states in the tweet here from June 9th, 2017, they thought there was a 90% chance that they were going to lose it all, but that was only a chance was his quote. And I've heard him talk about this. The whole idea wasn't exactly for him to make a successful electric car business. The whole point of him making Tesla was to forward the technology and forward the idea so that other car companies would get into the game. We have seen that. In this last year, we have seen Porsche get into the game. We have watched Mercedes get into the game. We have watched BMW get into the game within the last few years. We've even watched major car brands of GM getting in with the Chevy Bolt and Volt. And we watched this week Ford announce that they will be making an electric Mustang vehicle under the Mustang title. But Elon, even this last week, And part of why I'm releasing this a little bit later in the week, and I'm recording this right now on the 22nd of November, last night, Elon announced his Cybertruck. And if you follow some of the electric car stuff, which is something I just like following because I think it's fascinating, he had announced that the design was going to be extremely polarizing, that it was going to be like nothing we've ever seen. And if you've seen the designs of this vehicle, it's a little crazy. It's a little nuts. But some of the things that they're trying to push out with it, with it being this super strong stainless steel that a sludge hammer wasn't denting, though the demonstration of his essentially kind of bulletproof type glass failed during the demonstration, it's something that they're pushing for in this vehicle. And that depending on the model, that it can have upwards to 500 mile range, having towing capacity of 14,000 pounds, which is greater than the typical combustion engine truck that we have now. It's amazing to think about that 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, when he started this journey of Tesla, there were plenty of people doubting him. There was plenty of people who had essentially just given up on electric vehicles. They had said there's not the way to be able to do this. And through, yes, a lucky breaks, but also through hard work. He has helped make this vision a reality and has accomplished what their number one goal was of making it relevant to multiple different car manufacturers around the globe as becoming one of the leaders in electric vehicles. Why did Tesla have to announce their Cybertruck this week? Because Rakanon is another startup electric truck company that Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, has invested in, and they have announced that they're going to be releasing this in 2020. We have seen now how electric vehicles, though they're not perfect, Though there's a lot of questions still with them, we're seeing how they are pushing industry and pushing the idea and challenging these former ideas of what we had understandings of personal vehicle for transportation. When I look at what Jesus went through and people looking at and recognizing and thinking it was just a mortal death, 
Jesus knew based off of what we hear from him calling out on the cross in this gospel and other gospels that he obviously knew that this was more than what we could understand. When I look at the growth of the EV industry, if I'd known then what I know now, and all of us would have invested in Tesla, and we would be doing quite well watching the growth that that company has had, and how it has changed how our world looks at vehicles, and changes in pushing forward the industry in lots of ways between over-air updates that literally can physically change aspects of your car, which is both cool and a little bit weird at the same time still, to just the idea that we can be able to start pushing forth an electric car model that then doesn't depend on fossil fuels, that then could be electricity created through clean energy sources. This is amazing to watch. And to think about that in 10 to 15 years, how much of this has changed. There were plenty of doubters initially with the EV car movement. And yet, we're watching more and more people be convinced at least to give it a test drive now. Jesus knew what he was going through and knew that what people were trying to understand of who he was initially supposed to be coming as a king and his definition of king were very different from the start. And so thus, when he comes to give us the redemption and the ability of the forgiveness that we don't deserve, of course, it would come in a way that we don't necessarily understand. I often wonder at times how often do we miss things from God and from people around us because we just aren't understanding and yet we're so quick to persecute and shoot down ideas. In a world right now where we struggle with listening, maybe this is also a text at the end of the year as we prepare for the first coming and the second coming of Jesus that we need to be able to listen more, to understand, and to better support how Christ is coming into our lives. Maybe it's through some crazy car company that changes our world to a more sustainable planet that 15 years ago seemed unrealistic, to where now there is a possibility and they're having trouble keeping up with demand. Maybe our faith needs to be in a similar place. Maybe we need to be able to contemplate and consider that there is new and different ways for us to be looking at our faith and that Christ is in those places and pushing us to understand and to think about it in a new and unique way. When Christ died the way that he died, many thought it was over. Obviously, he knew that he wasn't. And obviously, the other criminal who knew that he had done wrong had some belief, some faith, that this man was something more and was being exactly who he said he was. I just hope that I can be in a place that I can state who I am when that time comes and being honest to myself instead of rebuking what might be the easier decision. So the Twitter question this week will be this. Where have you persecuted to later find out you were 
drastically wrong. Where have you persecuted to find out later you were drastically wrong? It's one of the things on why for me personally, on my personal Twitter and personal social media, I don't necessarily post a lot of things. I like having a solid faith in it. I'm not going to look back on it later and disagree with that statement. I know for me, as I asked that question, I'm a big Timberwolves fan, and I distinctly remember wanting Jaleel Okafor, who is barely in the NBA now, as the first overall pick over Carl Anthony Towns, who is one of our franchise players on the Minnesota Timberwolves, and last year was an all-star for the first time. I was wrong, and I'm glad that I didn't necessarily push that narrative out into the world to later have to regret it. But I will think about there's probably other ways where I do that too in smaller ways. But I also wonder within my own faith at times, do I get so hung up on this, that, or the other thing and thus prevent God from moving in a new way and teaching me something new? I think we're in a world where we struggle with admitting that sometimes we don't have all the answers. And sometimes we need to be okay with the idea that we don't. And that's to me is where faith steps in. And faith makes it a place where I can have healthy doubt, a place where I can learn to understand that God works in ways that I don't understand and gives me an opportunity to reach out and find and learn more about him. So as we close the book on this liturgical year in Luke, I look forward to seeing how God is showing us in Matthew and through science about his presence. So we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.